So are you going to do the Shadowscape podcast number three, Welcome Back, and I'm going to read the Gale intro? I'll do the Gale intro. Let's do, you're better You're better out of the gate. Okay. Because your voice is like an octave lower than mine. Oh, so, thank you. So people like hearing you first. All right. <laughs> <laughs> it's true. I, a lot of people like whenever um, people will call me like a handyman or something, or they'll call and be like, uh, hello, is Corey there? And I'm like, yeah, this is Sim. And they're like, uh, is your is your husband available? And I'm like, hey, shut up, man. <laughs> Whatever. Hit the record button. Hey, everybody. This is Sean Lee. And my name is Corey. And this is Shadowscape Podcast number three. Episode number three. We made it. We did it. I think three, that's got to be a special thing. Well, you think about like dates, right? First date, it could happen and then you guys might not be a match. Second date means a little bit. This is our third date, friends. Third date. This is our third date. This is where we, this is where we get a peck on the cheek Are or we something. dating? I, I don't know. I hope we're not dating. I can't believe I'm a I, married man. I don't want to date a Sean Lee. <laughs> yeah, nobody wants to date a Sean Lee. Well... <laughs> We I found one woman so far, well, and I haven't screwed yeah. it up. Yeah. Well, hi, everyone. <laughs> we'll get back to our dating life later, but welcome to Shadowscape Podcast. It's been a fun journey so far. We're glad you're here. We are so glad you're here. Today is a really exciting day for all of you out there who are musicians and, and touring musicians and, and, and people who create art um, of the song factor, um, for sure. This is... This, uh, I'm really excited about this interview because I think our guest is going to just probably blow your mind with just how much you can do on your own if you want to, how vast your catalog can be if you want to work hard, and and how much one human being can accomplish when they put their mind to it. Um, we are really, really excited to welcome our third guest, Gil Skidmore. How are you? I'm doing really well. It's nice and warm in San Diego. <laughs> It's really not fair. It yeah, is. Yeah, don't tell us about it. It's San about Diego. negative four, I think, with, the wind, chill. with the wind chill. Yeah, which, which you know, let's just let's just have this conversation. What's the point of them telling me that it is negative three outside or four outside, and then say it feels like negative Death. twenty? <laughs> why why don't we just say what it feels like? Because isn't that what matters? Yeah, but I, but I think because. We are organic creatures with flesh and hair and water in our skin. When the wind blows, it changes how cold it feels. The wind changes everything. So if a thermometer says 20, but the wind's blowing like crazy and there's a certain humidity level, it's just going to feel colder. I think that's the worst worst concept ever. I'm but, sorry. But anyway, we're going to talk to Gail now. <laughs> so here's the true story, though. I have almost always been scared to say your last name out loud to you because I'm afraid that I'm saying it wrong. Skidmore? Is that how you say it? It's the easiest name ever. What are you talking about? Well, it's Skidmore. Well, here's the well, you're you're the only the you're the only person with that last name I've ever met. And I was afraid though that it was like Skidmore or something. Like <laughs> but it was something like really Is that fancy. like Fragile? Must be Italian. Fragile. Yeah, yeah. You I don't you, you never know. <laughs> Fun fact about that last name. First girl I ever went to a dance with, last name Skidmore. No. Yeah, and she lives really? in LA. She lives in LA. Was it Gail? No. 
No, I'm sorry, San Diego. I wish it was me. No, it would be great. I was a huge dork. <laughs> I would not have wanted to yeah. go dance with me. You know, Corey can back that that's up. That's true. Sean, that was before you should have seen Sean back in those days. I didn't see Sean back in those days, Aww. but he's got some pictures. I look like Sid from Toy Story and I had Ryan Cabrera Liberty Spikes. Yeah. It was yes. it was the we it was I was I don't know how to explain it. <laughs> <laughs> There's really no just no adjectives or adverbs or anything that would paint the picture that that really was Sean Lee. <laughs> no one would believe it. That's why I burned my yearbooks. Yeah. But the last name Skidmore, nonetheless, I am not afraid of. I'm not afraid of it. I'm just afraid to name. say it. Yeah. Just, just say it. It's just normal. It's very English. It's from old English ah, stuff. So I don't know Skidmore. much about it. I don't know much about old English, anything other than I had a bandmate who told me that he was like English, but I don't think he knew that. He just wanted, like, I'm white. he wanted I want some yeah, history. He wanted people to think that like his ancestors had British accents or something. Man, yeah. I've got culture. Yeah. <laughs> I'm English. But anyway, we are super excited. Gail is an award-winning singer, songwriter, a musician, a composer. She's written literally thousands of songs she's toured all over the world and if i'm not wrong she's released 21 albums which holy cow it's crazy holy cow so for those of the people in the world who are not familiar with gail would you just tell us a little bit about who you are and what you do and just kind of about your career in general all right. Um, from San Diego, and I've always been told that my music is a little dark for the San Diego scene. That's <laughs> why we like you. <laughs> um, I'm currently living in the Netherlands. I married a Dutch man about a year and a half ago, and so I live right near Amsterdam, and I'm still doing music out there. I've been writing since I was really, really little. I've written, I think, about 2,500 songs now. And I started playing classical piano when I was four. And from there, I branched out and taught myself a bunch of other instruments. And the releases are like, they're not all full length albums. So it's 21 or 22 releases. I actually lost count. But some of those are singles and some are EPs. So it's not quite that impressive. <laughs> but I do have a lot of songs. So I'm hoping to put out some more this year. I, I feel so... Oh, I don't even know. Feel just looking at your your discography, it just makes me feel so bad about myself because I'm like, you. Uh, <laughs> I feel like you have more songs and more releases than I have ever even thought of, and I'm like, what? What's wrong with me, Corey? <laughs> It does It does give me the shame factor, but it also gives me a hope factor because one thing I've always been afraid of as a songwriter is that my pen would run dry. And in your biography on your website, you specifically say that you have never had writer's block. Is that true? That's true. I think a writer's block is being when you sit down and you really want to write something and you can't. I mean, I do have periods where I like don't write anything, but I usually just wait until I feel inspired to write something before right. I try to do that. And I, I don't think that I've ever sat down and tried and then not been able to write something. It just isn't necessarily good. That's awesome. And that's, that's a huge inspiration <laughs> to a lot of us songwriters. That's awesome. So at this point, if you've written like 2,500 songs, like you're just 
seemingly catching up with like Bob Dylan and Willie Nelson. <laughs> um, so with these songs, like where do they come from? Are, are you just choosing to write them because you are inspired? Do you sit down to write because you feel like you need to? Or like where are these coming from? Personal experiences or, or you know, just maybe talk a little bit about, if you don't mind, about your songwriting process. Because I, I think a lot of people are just like fighting to figure out how to write 10 songs or five songs for a release. And and you seem to just have like not necessarily having a problem with that. And I, I'd, I'd love to know where, where those are all coming from. Well, probably all of those answers are applicable at certain points. Um, I've really only met one or two other people who write in the same way that I do. So it's probably not a normal, normal writing style. Um, I've always written songs. It wasn't like a choice for me. Like I want to be a songwriter. I just kind of started doing it without even thinking about being a songwriter. Um, I used to make little recordings when I, starting from when I was three years old and singing little songs. And I've always just kind of heard music in my head and I process my life through songs. So it, it's something that I have to do and that I just do no matter what. And, you know, the music industry is frustrating. And I've had those times like anybody else who's done it for more than a year where I'm just like, I want to quit. I hate it, but I can't because it's what I do. Right. So it's not something that I can, that can put away. And if I don't play music for a while, then I get grumpy. (laughs) It's it's cheap Um, therapy is what I call it. For sure. I definitely have had those feelings. I know Sean and I have had a multitude of conversations like, yeah, I'm done. I don't want to do this anymore. This is stupid. And then two months later, you're like, oh, check this idea I have out. Like, <laughs> or, or you, just, you just get to this place where, yeah, you can't. I wouldn't know who you can't I was turn anymore. It off. And I definitely think that you wouldn't know who you were either. It's ingrained in your personality. It would be quite interesting to you should just mess with your friends and like you don't, you don't see somebody for three or four years and you run into them and like, how are you? What's going on? You should just be like, well, you I'm know, I'm an actuary. Yeah. And- <laughs> I, I, I picked up gardening and I just garden all the time. Music. I'm over that. <laughs> just mess with people. <laughs> I don't think anyone would believe you, but it might be fun. <laughs> so I can try that in your biography. Uh, let me see if I can pull this up really quick, actually. You have a Wikipedia, and that's really cool. And somebody that you don't <laughs> we, know. We like people with Wikipedia. Yeah, that's... it makes us feel special. <laughs> Someone that you don't know had to have written this, which is great. But what I don't understand is how they know this. Skidmore plays electric guitar, banjo, ukulele, bakalakalaka. Can you say that for me? <laughs> what is that? <laughs> I think you nailed it. Did I really? um, balalaika. Balalaika, melodica, harmonium, mountain dulcimer, flute, folk harp, harp, glockenspiel, marimba, kalimba, vibraphone, organ, electric bass, stand-up bass, tambourine, mandolin, ocarina, accordion, trumpet, and percussion. And the first time we ever met, me and Corey and you were playing a show together in San Diego, and... I remember I met you and you were just this sweet, nice, down to earth, easy to talk to person. And then when it was time for you to go on stage, you adorned yourself with with this like white flowy robe and a glowy crown of of thistles <laughs> and lights. And you became 
this this ethereal beautiful musical thing on stage and there were just instruments everywhere and I was like there's no way this girl's gonna get through all of these instruments in one set and you did (laughs) instruments well that's a beautiful description thank you (laughs) which one of these instruments would you say is your primary inspiration instrument when you're writing and which one has surprised you um I started playing piano so piano is really my instrument and I don't make a lot of claims about anything else. Uh, I did study piano for quite a long time. I went to school for it for a little bit. I really at one point wanted to be a classical pianist. So that's something that I still pursue. And so I'd say that's probably the most inspirational. But I actually started when I started playing shows, I played guitar and I didn't really know how to write on piano for a long time. And I actually couldn't sing and play at the same time. <laughs> It was this horrifying experience where I'd, I'd try to sing and I couldn't carry a tune when I was playing because I was concentrating so much on keys. So I had to relearn how to do that and it took a while. But now it's the most inspirational for me. And I think the instrument that has surprised me the most would probably be the banjo lele that I just picked up from during banjos. They're friends of mine, actually about a mile from where I am right now in San Diego. But I was given a banjo lele from Deering and... That has been really, really fun to write on. I've been writing kind of a different style since I've gotten that, just specifically on that instrument. How would you describe the the change in inspiration that that has given you? Well, every instrument has its own personality, and this one has this this really amazing resonant tone. It's really quite loud, actually, for a uke banjo hybrid. And um, I've been playing around with it and just trying... A different style. I'm not sure quite how to fully. It's not like just a single style that I'm doing with it, but it definitely. Um, I think maybe because of the smaller neck and just like me figuring out chords, I don't really know how to play it per se. But I'm coming up with some interesting progressions on it. You can hear a couple of those on a new EP that I just put out with my Dutch label that I signed to a little bit ago. What's the name of that EP for our listeners? It's called the New York EP, and it's out on Triptych. It's T-R-P-T-K, and that's a label that's out in Utrecht in the Netherlands. So talking about labels, um, you know, I know we've talked a little bit uh, before uh, just about that whole world, and, and I know you've had some not-so-great experiences with with labels, at least that's what's on your Wikipedia. <laughs> and, um, I, but I also know that you started your own label. Um, how do you feel, um, about the differences between, you know, signing with a label or being independent or you know, even like, what do you feel like the biggest struggles are being independent versus being signed? And, uh, what's your kind of emotion towards all that now and, and the value either way? Um, I think they're very different things. And I started my own label because, like you said, I had some bad experiences. I actually decided not to sign with a label and they ended up, I had moved my piano into their studio and they threw my piano away. Oh my gosh. They didn't give it back to me. It was this 1917 Brooklyn and Sons Beautiful Upright that my friend's mother had given to me. That's So yeah, after that, I was like, well... (laughs) I think I'll do my own thing for a while. Um, But I think it really depends on your goal, what you want to do. I mean, for me, it's really just something that I have to do. Like I'm, I'm seeking to create art. I'm not like, of course I want a sustainable career and I want to be able to record the albums that I 
dream about. So that requires an amount of you know success, but the goal is always to keep creating something new and to express myself through music. And my goal isn't necessarily to like be famous or write a hit song, et cetera. So I think that if you're trying to get out there and tour and have other people shape you into, um, you know, a performing artist, then go ahead and sign with the label or, you know, you could sign with a label like I signed to who just was really happy with what I do. And they're really interested in doing, um, a totally live experience. They actually use um, Furutech cables to try to get the most true to live sound that they can get. And we just did single takes on the EP that I just did. So, I mean, there's other stuff out there. It's not just like if you sign with a a label, they're going to, you know, trim you up and make you into something that they want. But for me, when I started my own label, Raincoat Records, I just really wanted to do my own music. And I didn't want people telling me how to write a song or what to write about or how to dress. I just wanted to do the art that was in my soul (laughs) and not have it be corrupted. Speaking of how you dress, I think that you dress super cool. But one thing I've noticed (laughs) about you is like, I, I never... Like some people, you can like put them in a genre like, oh, they, they kind of dress kind of edgy or they kind of dress kind of punk or they kind of dress kind of vintage. Every time I've seen you, every time a shoot comes out or a video comes out, you I feel like you you embody all these different, I don't want to say personalities, but almost these different characters that each record and each even each song has. Where Where does that, like your, I guess your fashion like influence come from or is it just like all kind of looming around in your head and it just happens? I'm curious because you always have these cool hats and these cool dresses or all kinds of different things and I've always found that so interesting. Well, thank you. Um, I find inspiration in a lot of different places and I guess that comes out in the different art and photo shoots that I put out with my music. But it's kind of, I feel like I try to match what I wear to either my mood or the songs that I'm doing currently with the album. And so for, let's say, Make Believe, I did a lot of vintage style stuff. I did a photo shoot with some balloons, if you remember that one. Yeah. But it was very light feeling and the album was a lot happier. And then with Sleeping Bear, I did some darker themes and so I did a lot more black and, you know, kind of French pop feeling to it. Um, it just really depends on like what I'm, what I'm listening to and what I'm watching and what the art that I'm paying attention to at the time. I don't know. I, I try not to put my music in a box really because I, I want to listen to my muses and just write the songs that are inspiring to me and not what I think I should sound like or what everybody's expecting. Right. So. Do you feel like that anyone's tried to paint you in a certain way? Uh, being that you've you've been making music for, for such a, a long time and you have all these releases, do you feel like people are starting or have tried to put you in a place? It's like, oh, she's this kind of artist or, you know, I know for, for us, we've, I've had that, you know, that, that issue where people, I guess they, 
try it. They, they think they figured out who I am or what I am. And then or what your inspirational source and, is. Yeah. And the second that I get outside of that, people are like, well, what are you doing? You know, do you feel that you've ever seen or felt a pushback or like a, people trying to classify you in a certain way and then kind of upset if you change or, you know, with you definitely, there, it seems like there's always change, you know, introducing new instruments and different sounds and different looks. And you're kind of just going with that the moment and just being Gail. D- does that ever kind of upset fans or like make them like wish that you just make what you did, you know, back in sleeping bear days, you know? Um, I don't, I haven't personally experienced any pushback from that. Definitely. I've had people try to define me, but that's what we do as humans. I mean, we want to define things so they make sense for us, but for my fans, thankfully, like the people who are interested in my music are, are interested in it usually because it isn't all the same thing on one album. So basically whatever album that you pick from me is not going to have just like one type of song. It's all kind of quirky. I mean, definitely I have a sound. I wouldn't say that I like don't have a sound and don't define me. I mean, I have my own kind of thing going, you know, I know every artist wants to feel like they're totally unique. So I have my influences and I'm sure people listen to it and hear other artists or styles and can tell what the influences are. But I mean, I don't know where I'm going with that. So I'm going <laughs> to just stop talking. <laughs> I find myself in that position quite often. <laughs> yeah, usually he looks like a deer in the headlights. Like he's realized like, oh no, I've gone too far down this road. And now I don't know where this road ends. Yeah. It's, yeah, it's, it's nobody good, knows. good times. So I'm, I want to, <laughs> I want to pick, um, let's, let's play this, this name dropping card real quick. Um, because you have just, I don't know how it's happened, but, um, you have some songs out there that are produced by definitely people we've heard of, or, you know, particularly you have a song, uh, called beautiful soul that features Sean Watkins and, I think a lot of people, at least in our circles, know exactly who Sean Watkins is. Gets um, us excited. Gets us super excited. <laughs> and, but I, I'm, I'm just interested, like, how some of, um, for you, let's just call it what it is. I guess, how do you, how have you met some of the quote unquote bigger names in the industry? And obviously, you're incredibly talented and a great songwriter. And so I can understand why people would want to collaborate. But how for you have you kind of walked into not only just being an independent artist, but kind of gotten yourself to a position where you're opening for bigger acts or bigger producers are working on your songs or like Beautiful Soul, you're you know, doing a song with, you know, somebody who's sold millions and millions of records. Like, how did you get there? Well, I think, you know, being independent doesn't mean that you have to shun all the industry in a way. Right. Or I don't know. I feel like I grew up in this scene where I'd go and see indie bands and everybody would be mad when they started doing more work or they sold out, you know, and they worked with bigger producers and like, Oh no, they've, they've gone mainstream and everybody likes them now. I can't like them and we begrudge them their success. But in my own career, I've seen that that's really silly and I should really take the opportunities that I get to work with people who I admire and respect. And I had the opportunity to do Sunset Sessions in 2012, which was a big industry showcase event. So I showcased for like the heads of all kinds of labels. And, you know, there's a ton of bands that have come out of there and a ton of really amazing artists who've played those events. So 
and a lot of them, are, they're not doing them anymore now, but um, I met a lot of people through there. I mean, I think Fun did that, and um, Jason Mraz played there many times. I did meet some people through those events, and I also just have worked hard and, you know, tried to network. So for Sean, I met him through Grant Lee Phillips and Grant Lee Phillips is in a band called Grant Lee Buffalo and he has been around a long time, super talented. And I think that my publicist connected me. Oh yes, I remember what the publicist connected me with him. And so I actually went up to do his podcast and then he introduced me to Sean and I had them both down to San Diego to do a show and then Sean and I became friends and he invited me up to just record and we were just hanging out and he wanted to record a song together so that's how Beautiful Soul came about. That's so cool. That's fantastic. There's literally, there's no way that Sean would ever hear any of my stuff and be like, dude, we should totally collaborate. So kudos to you for being (laughs) awesome. So you said another name a minute ago. Uh, You said the name Jason Mraz and so here comes another uh, name drop. How did it so happen that Jason Mraz engineered a project for you? I think most of us are like, how is even Jason Mraz an engineer? Yeah, like we I mean, don't that, think of him that know, way. Cause I'm, I'm, I consider myself a songwriter <laughs> and performer and I spend more time engineering. So like, but I don't know anybody else that's like that. And so that actually like really interests and excites me. What, what did that look like? How did that happen? What was that experience like? Well, um, part of that is just being in the city where I am. Jason's from San Diego, and I actually met him a really long time ago when he used to play at Java Joe's, which was kind of around the time that he got his big break with his first album. And then when I was living in L.A., he did a show with Gary Jules at the Hotel Cafe, which I went to. I think that was, I don't even know, 2001 or 2002. And so I reconnected with him there. And then in, I think, 2006, he was doing these shows in San Diego. He he does um, some secret shows here sometimes. And his roommate at the time, Billy, had a project called Bushwalla. And they would do these Friday or Saturday night gigs. And we'd all just hang out. It was really small. It was like 40 or 50 people crammed into a little room doing secret shows. And... At one point, I asked him, because I knew he had a home studio, um, having been there like a couple times, I guess, um, I asked him what he would charge me to record, and he was up for it and went up there and recorded a couple songs. That's great. That's really cool. That's awesome. Is, would you, I don't think he's ever in here, so you can be honest. Would you, is he is like a really good, is he as talented as an engineer and a producer in your brain? as he is like a songwriter and a performer. Do you think that he's just equal on both? Yeah, he actually does a lot of his own recordings up there in the studio. That's awesome. I had no idea. Yeah, I would have never guessed that. Yeah, he's he's really, really talented. And if you ever see him <laughs> at one of these little shows, I mean, he's just really, he's really creative. I think that sometimes people don't think that because he's like more of a mainstream artist, but he is able to just like come up with stuff off the top of his head just on a whim. And he's he's a really sweet person, so he's fun to be around as well. That's awesome. I, I mean, I, I think it makes sense. You know, I don't know why we would assume necessarily that 
oh, since it's this guy who's found success and fame and he's a singer songwriter, that he's probably not like us. I don't know. I don't know where that comes from because now these days it seems like, I mean, nearly half of the people that I have seen like kind of come up the ranks and you know, gain fame, they started out as a producer or engineer, or they're making all like half of the records that they're doing, they've done in their home studios. Make themselves. Yeah. So yeah, that's, that's really cool. Um, so I'm, I'm curious, uh, and maybe you've kind of explained it a little bit, but you're from San Diego, but you're living in the Netherlands. How is that different for you? Is it, is it different at all as an artist or do you feel like, um, you know, it's just kind of like I live here and I still make music. And I, you know, I'm just, I'm curious if like a, a cultural influence, you know, it, it changes your perspective or your songwriting or even how the kind of trajectory of your career goes. Absolutely different. And I am always very influenced by whatever physical location I'm in. So it's definitely, definitely affected my, my writing and my music. And also just being in a new place and not really knowing anybody has really changed it. I mean, I've really got a sustainable career going in San Diego where I can just be totally independent and do what I want. And over there, it's, it's been really different. I actually find the Netherlands to be kind of like Los Angeles in a lot of ways. <laughs> I have been meeting people who are more kindred spirits recently, like my label. They are really doing things that I enjoy and they're not so, I don't know. I I say LA like a dirty word, but they're not so LA say, about lots of traffic and but, everyone's famous. <laughs> All right. So you were talking about the the dichotomy and the difference between creating in a familiar place and creating in the Netherlands. Um, I've definitely been writing a lot when I'm over there and I've been reaching out to like industry people there and just trying to get to know the scene. I found a really talented cellist. Her name is Maya Friedman and she is just kind of a super genius. She writes her own cello pieces. She does classical stuff and she's just really creative. And we had a really good synergy in the studio and she played on the EP that I put out. And so that's been really exciting to kind of work with a new, new band. I have a violinist as well. And I'm just putting these together over there. I'm definitely still playing around. And I also actually work for a licensing company in San Diego. So I'm still doing a lot of stuff here. I'm visiting San Diego right now, so I'm staying here to San Diego. (laughs) But I'm still kind of working here as well, remotely. Do you feel like there is a big difference in the way, uh, because your label is based in the Netherlands, correct? Yes. Okay. Do you feel like there's a big difference in the way the industry operates and just the rules of that universe? Is it different there than it is stateside? I would say yes. Um, the Netherlands, in my opinion, which is you know based on only the last like year and a half or so, is really pop focused. And so, in San Diego, I actually won you know best pop album and best pop like. <laughs> for the San Diego Music Awards. But over there, they have repeatedly, like different people have said, oh, you're really alternative. Wow. Like, this isn't very pop. You know, and they kind of say it like it's a negative thing. <laughs> so they're looking for more mainstream stuff and that's great. 
like in general for them. Um, but I am finding my own path there and finding that there are people who are really interested in what I'm doing. And I've actually run into some fans who had found me on Spotify years ago, come to shows since I've been there. So it's really cool figuring that out. This is probably a silly question, but I, I just have, I, I know nothing about the Netherlands. Do they speak English or, or is it a completely different language? <laughs> so yes, most of, most Dutch people do speak English um, and <laughs> their language is Dutch. Yeah, that, that makes sense. And so, yeah. Yeah, I, I'm showing <laughs> my... surprised how many people don't know anything about it though, guys. Like people ask me, when I say I live in the Netherlands now, they ask me which one. there's a really it's just one country or they ask if i'm now danish Uh, obviously and people get confused between holland and the netherlands and holland is actually there's no holland and south holland the provinces within the netherlands although some people do refer to it as holland yeah, I'm probably one of all of those people that you just described. Like, I know nothing about the Netherlands. Even, you know, growing up, hearing that that word, I thought it was like what you would call a place that no one lived or something. Like, right, oh, he's like, he's like a North, or like... Uh, from the Netherlands. Yeah, he, he's somewhere... The Netherlands, I thought it was just this place that didn't exist, like an island in the middle of... The ocean, like that's a place that no one actually goes or lives. Like I didn't actually know until probably I was in my twenties that the Netherlands was actually a country. <laughs> oh, and there's a really funny YouTube video out there that actually explains like what the Netherlands is and how the word Dutch relates and where Holland is and that it's not a. And it explains the whole thing, but it does it in a very comical and clear way but the the, it's clear in how they describe it but they make it clear just how complex i'll try to find it i'll text it to you (laughs) yeah i i I grew grew up in a very like landlocked hillbilly uh like middle podunk area of the the whole entire planet so we know county lines (laughs) we got county roads i can i can basically talk redneck and regular white folk and beyond that like i still have a lot of educating to do on the world and countries and what how the rest of the planet is um you know i'm curious too over there i know all these incredible bands and artists over the years have come from Europe. And it's kind of like just the thing, like that all U.S. bands just know, like European bands and European art is just better than American. That's kind of how we think. Do you feel like you went over there and you're you're feeling that? Like, oh my gosh, everybody's extremely talented comparatively to like, say, America or the West Coast, or is it just different? Or do you have that instant cool factor because you're the foreigner? <laughs> well, I like to think that. Um, I don't really find it to be better. I think it's different. And I find that the audiences in certain places tend to be more attentive than they are here. People here tend to be distracted or they go to a show to go to a scene and they're not there to actually hear the music. Um, or they're just there to like... <laughs> put it up on their social media. But, right, right. Um, I don't know. I wouldn't say that it's really better. Definitely like different cities have different styles that they're embracing and different things that are going on. But I think that like, especially here on the West coast, like people 
come here to do music. So it's really competitive and people are just really talented. So I don't know. I don't feel like, I don't feel intimidated by it. I feel like what I do is different, but I think that there's, there's great things going on there as well. And I've met some really incredible artists so far. Well, that's awesome. So I, if you go to your band camp, um, you're one of the only artists that I can go to their band camp and I actually have to scroll down to continue seeing your releases. You got a lot of content, kid. You're, yeah. But what I think is interesting, and I think I'm not wrong, but a lot of these covers are super cool and they're super creative. And if I'm not mistaken, you actually illustrate a lot of the covers for your albums, correct? Yeah, I've done most of them. Um, I've done the coloring books for the last three full-length albums. And, and yeah, most of the covers, I think, are mine. I love the coloring book concept. Uh, my girlfriend and her mom do adult coloring books together as like relaxation therapy. I was literally just sitting in front of the fire with them yesterday, coloring like a bear or something. <laughs> and was it a sleeping bear? Aww. It, it, it might've been actually, <laughs> to be honest. Um, but, uh, I, w- I thought it was great as I was reading in your Wikipedia and it makes me even happier now to know that you didn't write your Wikipedia because they literally said, you know how people are like, I did it before it was cool. I did it before it was hipster in your Wikipedia, which you didn't write. They straight up said you were releasing adult coloring books with your albums before it was cool. (laughs) And that makes me happy. That's really cool. I actually haven't read my Wikipedia because I was too afraid to. <laughs> it's it's positive. Yeah, it's we're just going to read the whole thing and put that out as a podcast. It'll Our interview oh with, with Gail is just reading her Wikipedia. Gail Skidmore's Wikipedia. <laughs> you know, what's funny, Sean, you, you phrased it that uh, it says that you were putting out adult coloring books with her album before it was cool. But honestly, I've never, I mean, granted, yes, the adult coloring books, but I've never, I don't know anyone who's ever released a coloring book with their album. Well, my girlfriend's parents are German. So okay. they're But, but do your different. girlfriend's parents have albums? Oh, no. You know what I'm saying? Like, no. yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Oh, I see what you're saying. Like just adult coloring why books. Why I think to me, this is impressive. And it comes back to the amount of like, songs and and albums you put out into the world. It is so hard for so many artists to put out even a a piece of anything cover art with five songs. And for you to actually make a whole album. I'm going to give you way more art than I am required to. And then put a coloring (laughs) book out. Not only is that super cool, I think that you even went that far to create that much content, but that you could even do it like is it blows my mind because these illustrations are super cool. And, and I don't know. I just, I'm just really impressed by that. So that's a freebie of just me saying you're awesome. So go you. <laughs> Thank you very much. Well, it means a lot. And I really, you know, I care about my art and I just want to put something out that has meaning to me and has, you know, kind of encourage other people to be creative. And that's been kind of my goal with that, like to have something be interactive and it's therapeutic, like proven to be good for you to color while you're listening to music or whatever. So I wanted to do something that was really positive. And a lot of my music is about like really sad 
things that have happened to me in my life. And that's kind of my way of turning it into something that is healing and healthy. That's awesome. No, that's amazing. Um, do you feel like you're always writing from personal experience and, or, or do sometimes songs just happen and you're like, I don't know what this is or where it came from, but here it is. I think, I think all of those are true. And I write quite a bit. So it's, you know, it's not always about my own journey. Sometimes it's about other people or people that are close to me or a story that I read or, um, I like to read century poetry and so I'm definitely influenced by, by all that. I love like fantasy stories. And so I do try to work a lot of that into my writing. But I've actually, you know, there's been a lot going on in the world lately, if you didn't know. Just and a little bit. I've been writing a little bit about that as well, but probably in a more obtuse way than a lot of other people. When you said a lot of things are happening in the world right now, which, uh, yeah, absolutely. Do you feel like, and this is, I guess, a little bit less about music and just about being a human, but does does the worldview feel differently to you living in the Netherlands and hearing all the things that are happening all over the world and even in the U.S. than when you lived in the U.S. and and kind of saw it all happen? I mean, I feel like you you probably kind of interpret the world in a, a little bit different way, but I'm curious your perspective. Well, it is really interesting living in a socialist environment. I mean, that's spewed out like a dirty word in America, and I understand that. But it has been very different, you know, having decent health care and having a lot of things that I worried a lot about being an independent artist in America, like really just totally taken care of over in the Netherlands. Um, also, I find the news cycle to be really different. The way that news is done in America is that everybody goes on and talks and talks and goes over and over something for hours. And they really sensationalize it and they deliver it like it's just, you know, super dramatic. And it's really different from the way that the Dutch do things. Um, I find it really stressful coming back America right now at this time just like people are really angsty I find everybody stressed out and so it's been kind of a privilege at, at the same time to come in and and play my music for people and just kind of give people like a little bit of a break from that kind of thing and um, give people a chance to reconnect and I find a lot of people are really looking to the arts right now which is a really beautiful thing to to get respite from just the constant barrage of crap that's happening and everybody wants you to be so concerned about every single thing that's happening in the world and you need to be paying attention and you need to have an opinion on everything and if you don't write about it on your Facebook feed then you probably don't care about people I don't know it's just a, such an intense attitude here um but yeah I definitely do find it to be a relief to take a break from that and be able to tune out of it a little bit that's it's interesting how you were saying um about healthcare. I mean, why do you think about that? Like yeah. when you're an artist or like particularly like a touring artist, you just hope to God you don't crash or fall or uh -huh. get sick or anything, you know, beyond the normal happens to you. Cause you're, you're just kind of screwed. Cause you don't have health insurance. I didn't have health insurance for 10 years when I was touring. And I remember the first time I like broke a bone on stage. Cause that's rock and roll. Um, or clumsiness. Uh, I, <laughs> I was jumping off of a 
of an amplifier. But, um, you know, there was nothing I could do. And I was headed to Nashville next. And I had a lot of other friends who were musicians and they like loaned me crutches and stuff like that. But it changes the way you view the world. I can't imagine how that would change the flow of your career as an independent artist. That would be interesting. Yeah, it's really interesting. Actually, my my tour buddy got sick on this last tour that I did when we were in um, Washington. And so like Medi-Cal doesn't work outside of California. If you didn't know. And I actually had to call an ambulance for her. So, oh wow. you know, it's, it's just kind of an, an interesting thing. I know everybody's trying their own way to figure it out, but yeah, I have to say it's been a real relief. Like my insurance works over here. Oh, <laughs> and, nice. You know, I never expected that I would get so lucky <laughs> to get this awesome healthcare. I mean, definitely something you have to think about i mean there's just all these practical things when you're an independent artist that you need to figure out that you you work for yourself and you've got to figure out how to provide everything so do you feel like the netherlands is a much more kind of possible rich environment to be an artist when it comes to you know all the things like healthcare and whatnot or do you feel like there are other benefits in in the netherlands that you've kind of experienced um, I wouldn't say that it's like better. I mean, there's definitely things that are better here and there's things that are better there. It's just different. Um, so I'm just kind of learning how to be an artist there. I mean, definitely, I personally find Dutch culture to be a little bit procrastian. They really want people to just conform to this certain way of doing things. And that's never really been for me. So I find that to be a little bit stifling, but there's also, you know, pockets of like really welcoming communities there. And it's really close to the rest of Europe. I mean, right. it's just like a quick drive to Germany, you know, it's like five hours to Paris and where we are. And so it's just, it does open a lot of opportunities for touring over there. And I've had some really great experiences touring around there. So I'm excited to do more of that this year. Yeah, it's funny. You can be in a completely different country in Paris in five hours. I, we we can't even get to Denver in five hours. So that, I can't <laughs> imagine like everything, all these like vastly different cultures and amazing places in the world that are literally closer than me driving to Phoenix. And that's really cool. Um, one of the things that we, we talked a little bit uh, maybe before the podcast started and you were talking about um, your song, that is going to be in an upcoming remake of Little Women, um, which wasn't an, doesn't seem like it was an easy task to to make that happen. Can you kind of take us through that process and uh, a little bit about what's going on with you and your song and that movie? Well, I just kind of stumbled across the contest online, and since for the last like six or seven years, I guess I've been doing commercial stuff, and you know being challenged to write music for different ads and different moods and things like that. So I saw this contest to get a song into Little Women and I thought, well, wouldn't it be fun if I just wrote a song specifically for the film? And so I got an idea for it and I wrote something and I recorded it badly in my living room in like a couple of hours because the contest was going to be 
ending in like two days. And then I put it up there without really editing it or anything. And I ended up winning the first round. But then the contest, I think that the people running it just really wanted more exposure for their contest. And a bunch of people had jumped on to vote for my song. So without notifying anybody, they continued the first round for another week. And I was, it just started over at midnight, like it kept going. And I was like, wait a minute. (laughs) I only signed up for this because I thought it was going to be like a week total of voting. And I really, you know, I really don't like asking people to vote. I know nobody really enjoys that. It's like maybe five of my fans who were like, yes, I can vote for you. (laughs) (laughs) Everyone else was like, okay, fine. Um, but so it kept going round one for a week, and then I made it to the second round, and then that went extra long. And then the third round was supposed to be only the judges voting, and they ended up keeping the public vote open. <laughs> and like, nobody really responded from it. So it was a ton of work. And I was in a different time zone completely. So you just had to basically just keep asking your fans over and over again. Like, I know it was supposed to end last week, but surprise. I felt really bad. People were really supportive and like really cool about it. And by the end, like people were like really on my, on my team. And they'd seen that (laughs) the contest had really just kind of put me in a real weird position. And so people were like getting out and asking their friends to vote and just, being really amazing. So I ended up winning all three rounds and so my song will be in the upcoming remake and I've been in touch with the um, director of the movie and it's really exciting because I read that book as a little girl growing up and I loved it and then that really awesome 90s version with Winona Ryder and Christian Bale came out and it was just super awesome for me when I was younger. So do you feel like um, opportunities like that, do you feel like those are mega boosts for your career or they're just kind of another thing that kind of helps you take another step forward? I know a lot of us, we probably, we think like, oh, if this would just happen for us, then we'd be set. Uh, And the reality is that's not true. But do you feel like this is going to be a bigger step forward? Um, I I feel like it's a little bit of a milestone for me getting something in a Indie film. Um, I've had stuff in independent films, and I've had some stuff like had a song on an HBO show, and I've done stuff with commercials. But definitely, this has been a goal of mine, so it's exciting for me. But I definitely don't rely on this kind of thing to move my career forward. And I know that with music, it's just like one step forward, three steps back a lot of the time. And you can feel like, oh, I thought I already got to this level, right? And I thought that things would be different now. And you know, it doesn't work the same as a promotion in a regular job. You know, right. kind of try to think of it that way. Like, oh, I'm going to get to the next level of my career. But, you know, maybe, you know, maybe it'll be easier. Maybe more doors will open. But I try not to think of it like that. I try to just like be grateful and happy with what I've accomplished. But just keep working the same way that I've been working. Absolutely. It's, it's unfortunate that the music, industry for for bands and for solo artists is, is a bit of a quicksand you know it's, it's like if you're if someone's not there not to kind of help you along or you're you, if you start standing still at yeah. all the second you stand still you're sinking it's it's 
yeah, absolutely sometimes heartbreaking to see someone really do well and and really kind of break out of of their scene and into the national light. And then one thing doesn't go quite right or that record gets released a little later and all of a sudden all that momentum that they've worked for for 10 years just kind of faded away. And, you know, I've had some friends who have had some decent success, had one thing kind of not work out, and then now they're just miserable and jaded and they stop making music just because they kind of hit the quicksand. And uh, it's so hard to actually keep that that wheel turning and to keep sharp and to keep people even caring about what you're doing. Um, you know, I think what it, what's what I feel like you've done well from what I can see, um, maybe you can speak into this more. Uh, it, I always encourage people to stop looking at what the market's doing and to stop looking at what you're hearing on the radio and to stop trying to think that you have to make songs or art that people are going to like necessarily because of what's popular and just, just do you and stop and really even stop trying. You know, we, we put out a record and we go, okay, well there's 7 billion people in the world. Hopefully somebody will like this, you know, and just kind of pushing your music out into the world and seeing where it sticks. You know, I've, I've found so much more, uh, there's so much more success if you can actually go, you know what? My people are probably a bunch of like 28 year old kids who used to listen to emo music, who kind of still listen to emo music, who, you know, just like really good stripped down raw songs. And when it comes to like marketing, I just, I just stop marketing to anyone else because you, you think you need 7 billion people to hear your songs. And then you realize, you know, if I just have 10,000 fans who really, really love my music and they're all the same kind of people, there's nothing wrong with that because I can make a living off that. Um, when you're promoting your music or putting it out there, are you thinking of your fans or are you thinking of where it would hit or where it would stick? Or are you just kind of making it and putting it out and seeing what happens? Um, I think I definitely think about my fans when I'm creating music. I mean, nobody wants to create something that's just abrasive and nobody's going to like. <laughs> it's just like a you know, total opposite direction. I, I definitely have met those bands that it, it seems as if they are trying to make music that no one would like. Just it's cool. Just because it's cool. But yes, not <laughs> normally. We digress. Go ahead. No, I think it's kind of, it's kind of what we were talking about earlier where you have to think about your goals and creating music. I mean, are you trying to create hit songs and just get a massive fan base and tour around and, and going to write whatever you need to write to do that? Or do you really have a purpose in what you're writing? Do you have a message that you want to get out there? Um, do you have a artistic vision that you want to present to the world? I mean, what I'm doing when I'm writing is thinking about what I want to express in each song. Definitely when I get into the studio, we think about how to make it cohesive and, you know, how to do the songs justice. We don't just think about my selfish vision. We, we do think about other people, but I think where I start with it personally is trying to express what I, what I'm feeling and try to get the songs to represent a certain mood and a certain emotion because that's, that's the way that I process. So that's, that's where I start, but it, it isn't just this singular thing. If I'm only thinking about myself through the whole process, I'm definitely thinking about, you know, how to create a song that will affect other people and move them and be, 
you know, healing for other people as well and be something that people want to come back to and escape in. Yeah. You're making this almost like medicinal creation that serves such a greater purpose than just, oh, that sounds cool. Uh, I think there's a lot of, there's so much value to that. I'm curious, do you, is there any songs out there that you've, you've written and put out that, that were just selfish that were like, I just need to say this because if I don't say it, like it's gonna, it's gonna eat me, you know, it's gonna eat me alive from the inside. Do you, do do you always write with those mindsets of like trying to help or are there any things that you've put out that is a little bit just for you? my Golden West album, the Only Ever You song, I wasn't really sure. I kind of felt like that one was a song that other people weren't going to really necessarily connect with. And I put it out because it was just this deep thing that I felt and I had to say it. Um, I went through like a really major um, loss. I mean, I've been through a lot of loss in my life. That's a lot of what I write about. But one in particular was a boyfriend that I was... I was dating him and we were going to get married and he had a full psychotic break and he didn't really recover from that. And it felt like a death to me and was something that I didn't really want to talk to other people about because I didn't really want their opinion on it. And I just had this need to write this song to get it out of my system. And it's kind of really orchestral in the way that we arranged it. We used timpani on the song. That's awesome. um, I love timpani. It was something that I felt was like really emotional and doesn't really have like a ton of (laughs) pop appeal. And I wasn't really sure if it would be like too over the top for people, but I really felt like it turned out just the way that I hoped it would. And like, it helped me so much. I just really wanted it on the record. So that would be one. It's the last song on the album. And actually, Dave Ketching from Eagles of Death Metal sat in on that song on guitar, which was really cool. And it ended up being really especially poignant because we recorded that song at his studio out in Joshua Tree in Rancho de la Luna, like right before we all went to Paris. And Dave had invited me and my then fiance, Rob, to go and come to the Bataclan for their show in Paris because we were all going to be there at the same time. But then we decided like right before then to like move our trip to four days before and to meet them in Eindhoven instead. And that ended up being like a really major decision for us. And we were watching as the Paris attacks happened at that show and just were totally floored. Like we could have been there. It's just one of those things where like, it's not my tragedy. I wasn't there, but wow. I always will feel like connected to that. That's bone chilling. As something that like might, might've been, and it made it even more powerful to have Dave play on that song. Cause I know that that was like a really gnarly event for them. And it just was kind of like prophetic in a way. I think sometimes as songwriters, we write songs that we don't really understand at the time fully and they take on a new meaning, meaning as our lives progress and we go through different experiences. Absolutely. So that's one of those. Wow. What a story. Yeah. I, I knew I had read that he was on that track, but you know, and I even mentioned to Sean, I wasn't sure if Sean was familiar with, with that band. And it's like, yeah, that's the the same band that, you know, kind of had to endure this whole Paris attack and, to to hear 
that it's even in a way closer to home. Yeah. Than we thought, yeah, you were almost there and not just like almost there. Cause I almost went, but almost there. Cause you knew the guys that were playing and were invited. Wow. Yeah. It was really crazy. And you know, there's definitely like, I'm not like super close friends with them, but they're super incredible people and were really generous to me. And, you know, that was just like this really special time of recording. And I mean, I had emailed Dave that morning and let him know that we would try to go to the Eindhoven show instead and wish them luck at their show. And then that night he was the one who was like missing for the longest time that he was unaccounted for. And he was actually like so cool and texted me back like, and the next day or the day afterwards, like I think Bono had given them new phones and, um, yeah, it was just really a crazy intense time. Like I wasn't there, but it was still like really intense for me. And yeah. so it definitely has helped to have this song, like become this other thing to help me process through something else that was really intense in my life. Well, thank you for being willing to share such a personal story with us. You know, in, in that same vein, um, you know, I, not that this is, I don't think any of us have a, a full understanding or perspective of, of where this is at, but this has definitely been a year where live shows seem to be this place where even America and, and all over the world where people are committing these crazy acts of violence on, on, on just people who love music, you know, with you know, the, the Las Vegas tragedy and, and, and the Paris and, you know, all these other shows that, you know, we've heard in the news that have gotten canceled because they're, you know, they're, I think that there might be a bomb or there might be some threat or people are getting hit outside of the arenas. Like, do you have any thought in your brain of like, what makes people want to do that, you know, or I guess the bigger question for me is like, should we as artists, um, be, do, do you think like that's going to be something that keeps happening more and more? Or should we, we'd be worried or should we, you know, should we stop playing shows at arenas or, or should we play more shows at arenas to show people who, who want to commit acts like that, like that we're still going to stick together. I mean, how does that just, I guess there's not a real question there, but how does that affect you or, you know, when you see all these things happening, you know, particularly in music events and festivals, like what does that do for you, to, you know, to you and make you think? Well, I personally don't play arena shows. So <laughs> true. <laughs> <really> Same here. <laughs> affect me. I'd love to play one sometime. Um, I have to say that I think that it should make us want to love more boldly. Those of us who believe in, you know, loving others and, being somebody who encourages others and supports others. I think what we should just be emboldened to do that even more because it's so needed. I don't think that it should make us stop playing. Definitely. That would be letting these acts of terror, you know, achieve their goals. I mean, I think the point is to scare people and to terrorize them into, you know, being too afraid to do any of this stuff, but we just have to live our lives and, just try to put our art out into the world. I don't think it necessarily needs to change what you're doing, but it should just strengthen our resolve to do what we're doing even louder. Yeah, absolutely. Completely agree. It's beautiful response to that. So 
What does the future look like for you? Does 2018 have anything you're specifically excited about? Are you working on any pieces of art? We touched on the little women thing, which is huge and awesome. Um, what else? What's around the corner for Gail Skidmore? I'm going to be doing a lot of shows over in Europe. When I go back, I leave in another week here to head back to the Netherlands. Um, I'm chatting with an artist a singer-songwriter out of Amsterdam, um, Sean Gascoigne. He's super cool, and I describe his music as like if Elliot Smith weren't depressed. Whoa, that's interesting. <laughs> um, so we're talking about doing a little tour around, and Jamie Drake, who's a really fantastic singer-songwriter out of Los Angeles, is going to come over in the fall and tour with me. Um, what countries are you hitting? I'm working on some recordings, um, a lot of them. I I don't <laughs> have a full them. list right now, definitely. Going <laughs> um, to try to go back to France and Germany, and um, I'd really love to get back over to England, so I'm planning some shows over there. So I, I'm not sure of the full list, but I'll definitely send it to you when I have it. Um, I'm going to try to get Sean and Corey to come over and do a tour in Europe with me. There you go. You just say point. the word. Yeah, we're actually in the Netherlands right now. <laughs> yeah, we, we, I, I can, Which one? Yeah, uh, the one in the middle of the ocean. No one's heard of it. Um, yeah, it's a little island. Yeah. It's kind of... It's very nether. Yeah. Very nether. Very landy. Yes. I think you guys are thinking of the nether world. <laughs> it's another region for sure. I cannot tell you. Oh, oh, that's something else. Yeah, yeah. We should probably keep the nether regions uh, away from oh, the, this podcast. Um, but I, uh, I cannot tell oh, you. Man. There, there's, <laughs> oh man, there has been at least four or five times where Sean and I have been like, "Dude, let's tour Europe. Let's just tour Europe." Let's and do it. We started planning it. We've started booking it. We've started talking to other artists, and then like. We, we've gotten knee deep into it and we're like, yeah, later. Let's do that later. Yeah, we don't have time <laughs> right now. We just, uh, <laughs> yeah, we, it seems it's, it's such a cool thing to think about, but you know, Sean's flown around in there and, you know, been in the airports and things on his way to Africa, but you know, neither of us have been over there in the capacity of, you know, making art and, and showing it to people. So, yeah. uh, We'll have to do it. If you'll, if you'll have us, we then, need your help. Yeah. We'll come to the Netherlands and, and let's uh, do it. Yeah. That would be awesome. <laughs> that would be super fun. Um, I would not want to have to uh, play after you, but I would, I would love to open for yeah, you. Yeah. If we can go first, that would be great. Aww. Yeah. <laughs> They can handle me singing Sean Sean Lee to you. Do you remember that? What? What? Oh yeah, Sean Lee. You were you were a song that was my name or something, wasn't it? It was that thing from um, I can't live. Living is without you. But oh, then there's that yeah. like idol show from some other country where the girl sings Ken Lee, and then Chelsea and I sang Sean Lee to you I like constantly this. when we were hanging out. I, remember I thought you might this. hate me after that. No, it was <laughs> hilarious and it made me feel very special. Was that when we were eating burritos somewhere? I feel like we were eating Mexican food. Which is right. Yeah, yeah. I, I was wondering right, why I sure. couldn't remember this, but I I wasn't there, so that <laughs> this makes perfect it sense. It was that song that's like, <laughs> I don't want to live without you. So, oh, what is that song? Yeah, I don't know. 
So, so apparently Sean's your favorite. Okay, I yeah, get it. she's I already it. written a song about me. I am one of her twenty five hundred songs. That's how I count them. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> <laughs> well, in that case, I've written about three thousand songs about my oh, dog. Oh, <laughs> that is that's uh, that's good comedy in its finest. <laughs> so I have I have uh, a few things left. Um, one, I'm just curious. So any anyone who who's starting out could look at the things that you've done and the instruments that you play and the songs you've written and the people you've played with and go, holy crap, if I could ever do half of that, I would, I would feel like a, an artist who's done something. Do you have any advice to uh, singer songwriters uh, anywhere at any stage of their career uh, on just how to get out there, how to keep going and um, just how to keep motivated um, through all of the trials that we that we hit as, as just touring artists. I just, I'd love to know what your perspective is on getting started, getting going and keeping going. Um, I think it's always tough staying motivated, but I think for me, how I've been able to continue is just to keep a healthy group of people in my inner circle who support me, not just in my music, but just emotionally and spiritually and physically and people who encourage me to, to be healthy in a way that's balanced. I think a lot of times I've, I've had times in my career where I've had people around me who just really idolized music and said that it's a, you know, the ultimate goal and the be all end all, and you need to sacrifice everything else, the relationships and everything, and it should be your only love. And I I think that's a really unhealthy way to approach it. And you're going to burn out quickly doing things like that. I mean, there's a lot of reasons why I feel like that's a bad way to look at things, but yeah, I just, I, I think be cheesy about the people that you invest your time in and, um, who you let invest into you and just keep your your relationships healthy and make sure that you are taking care of yourself. I think a lot of times musicians, you know, they're known for not eating well, eating lots of ramen and not sleeping and <laughs> drinking too much and all this stuff. And I think that if you really want to be able to stay motivated and keep moving forward and have a healthy outlook, you have to be healthy. Yeah, absolutely. I'm, Corey and I both are the poster child for that. We have each at a certain point in time had a doctor tell us if you don't change what you're doing and the way you're touring, you're going to die. So, which, which is a great thing to hear. Yeah. <laughs> what I find funny is, is it's, it's so, I guess, seemingly unsexy to be healthy in the, in like, because I remember having those conversations with a doctor and him being like, well, basically you're killing yourself by touring and eating like crap and never sleeping. And so I changed my ways and I got somewhat domesticated and I would make my own food on tour and, and try to get more rest. And, and it was so funny how it, that almost became something people made fun of me for. Yeah, they get a chip on their shoulder about it. Like you're not doing it right. That's because, not rock and roll. Yeah. And what was so funny, people asked me, you know, particularly when I'm on tour, I have people come up to me all the time and say, man, I just, I'd really love to do what you're doing. How, 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 what should I do? And, and I always start with like, well, you should, you should learn to cook well, healthy. You should sell all of the things that don't make you money and put that into your career. You should, you should get a smaller apartment. You should, you should sell your big touring van and, and get a car that you can drive by yourself. And it's all these really unsexy things, but 
we, we, we think that like we have to have all these certain things to tour and these certain kind of instruments and these certain kinds of transportation. And we need to stay up all night, you know, and party all the time. And, and we create this idea of what it means to be like a touring artist. And then literally all of my friends or people that I've known who live like that, they aren't playing music for a living anymore. And the, eat you alive. and the ones that are super domesticated and just like living basically regular lives, they just happen to be also playing shows, you know, five nights a week. They're all making a good, a good living and making art. And it's just, it's so bizarre. I think that's great advice. Like be healthy, take care of yourself and surround yourself with friends who love you. It, it seems so common sense, but it's the one thing that very few artists do. Particularly when you were saying, man, there's so many people who really think they need to destroy their lives to make good art and, and they need to sacrifice all of their relationships and, and, and make music this crazy idol because if you don't, you'll never find greatness. And I just think that's so wrong. Life that's- sucks enough that you don't have to try to screw it up <laughs> to have bad things to write about. <laughs> Not if you're in a car every day. <laughs> Yeah, for sure. And I think that we're in an industry that celebrates excess and it also celebrates tragedy. I mean, it's it's an industry that will be excited if you like die a tragic death and, you know, have an overdose. They're not concerned about you being healthy and living a full life. I mean, look at people like Amy Winehouse. Yeah. I mean, it's an industry that will run you into the ground because it's sensational. So you have to take care of yourself and it does seem like common sense, but unfortunately you have to keep saying it because there's so many voices out there in this industry in particular telling you that you need to like live it up and live fast. Yeah. And and usually that just means that you lived it up, made a bunch of mistakes and your career is over pretty fast. Because you're dead. Yeah. I mean, realistically that, I mean, (laughs) unfortunately, I mean, that's a really dark way to go at it, but you know, you can kill your career really it's just so quickly if you don't be smart <laughs> don't be realistic um it's that's it, it is tragic that more people won't want the the sexiness of rock and roll and not the practicality of actually having a career um but that's a that's a pretty that could be a big conversation it's a podcast in itself <laughs> yeah <laughs> for sure well, we are super stoked of all the knowledge that you've dropped and, and all the things um, that you're doing. Is there anything that we can just push for you? Anything that's coming up that you're you're like particularly in like the next couple of weeks and the next couple of months that is, is happening for you that we can just highlight and and that you just like to use the people who hear this to uh, kind of just platform that out? Absolutely. I'm going to be relaunching my Patreon page. I got going on that, but then I got distracted with a really crazy tour last year and it just became a little bit too much but I'm going to be doing some more videos there's so many beautiful places over near where I live I actually live near a nature preserve in the Netherlands I see more birds I recognize than people in our small town (laughs) Um, but I'm going to be doing some videos around where I live there's um a lot of new songs I've been working on and I'm doing art with each song and video that I do on Patreon. So that'll be relaunching in either February or March. And I'm going to be recording some more, hopefully with my label triptych um, and my, my cellist and violinist. And I actually won a free day at Whistle Lord Studios, 
which is the biggest studio in the Netherlands. Um, Michael Jackson recorded there and a bunch of other artists. So I'm going to be tracking an EP there. So you can um, find everything on my website, gailskidmore.com and pay attention to stuff if you want via the mailing list. If you don't have commitment issues, <laughs> and you can sign up for that on my website as well. Very cool. Awesome. I really think that you should just have your EP that you record at the studio just be called Whistle Lords because like so many like American people aren't going to have any idea what like that that's a studio and we'll just think that it's just a really awesome She's going to have a lot of background <laughs> whistling on this record. Yeah. <laughs> She is a whistle lord. Yeah, that's her. That's her eighty-fifth uh, instrument that she can play. Is she's Gail is also known as a whistle lord. Uh, <laughs> it's more of a status yeah. Yeah. than an ability. It's like you're granted the status of whistle lord. Whistle lord Gail, please. I'm sure that the guy who wrote the Andy Griffith sing- theme song has that. Status yeah, he's as definitely well. a whistle lord. Oh my gosh. Well, I, I just have one question <laughs> left. And, and it's and a we, mean question. It's a too. mean question. This is uh, as, as bad as it gets. Um, but it is the staple question that we ask every guest on this podcast. So here comes What is your favorite album of all time? Um, I would have to say Jeff Buckley's Grace. Nice. That's a good answer. That and that was like a solid answer. And you had it in like three seconds. Oh, Most my. people are like, "Oh man!" And then they you hear them poop themselves a little bit. Yeah. And- <laughs> this Gail has self <laughs> self awareness. We we now have figured her out. She actually is making choices that she wants to based off of her own controlling mind. Yeah. Like, that's great. What's that like? Oh man, I really, I, I made this statement the last podcast that I would be f- surprised if we ever had anyone who could tell us their favorite album of all time without right anxiety. Yeah. yeah. Good job. You win. We're, you're a whistle lord. Yeah. <laughs> no anxiety here. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, apparently if you know your favorite album, Immediately, that's that is what makes you a whistle lord. A whistle lord status. Yeah. We'll be sending you a certificate and a T-shirt. In the mail. <laughs> I look forward also, to that. Also, if you would like your whistle lord certificate, <laughs> I'm going to put it on our website with, under your name. Like, if people want to get a whistle lord certificate, we should be like, and, it, we you should can be like, write it in. Sign up for our Patreon <laughs> so you can become a whistle lord. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, oh my gosh. we're creating business here. Yeah, we are. Oh, yeah. Shadowscape whistle lord. Yeah. Pay us money. $20 a month. Yeah. <laughs> well, thank you so much for doing this. I hope that you have still got a little bit of phone life, you know, left in your, your battery, some minutes not used up. Yeah. You know, and I hope you go to bed tonight singing Charlie in your head. You know, I will. I do sing it at random sometimes. <laughs> I think about you guys. I think I should come back to Kansas that's, City. That's delightful. Well, we are wrapping up a lot of really cool things. I think the last time that you were here, I don't, did a studio of any sorts exist or was it just a bunch of boards Piles lying around? It was some boards. I think we climbed up some rickety staircase or something and. It's dangerous. Yeah, it is less dangerous. It has walls and 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 the rickety staircases have been secured. Yeah, yeah. We we just. <laughs> I hope they've been secured. Um, but we just got it. This is exciting for us. But we just got our flooring in today. These these weird like strange men dropped off all the hardwood floor. 
like on our, our dock and then we're really mean. And they we're, were super <laughs> rude about it. Literally dropped 12,000 pounds of wood in the wrong spot and said, sign this and yeah. then left. And we were like, well, now we have to move this all by hand. So the reason it was taking us so long to get your podcast rolling with all of the technical difficulties is because we were still carrying wood in from the cold because we didn't want it to warp. Yeah. It was the mean wood lords. Oh. It was the wood lords. The wood lords destroyed everything for the whistle That's really lords. sad. Yeah, it's okay. <laughs> but it's exciting because we have hardwood floor here now yeah. and everyone said it would never happen. Yeah. So if you come back, we'll have a finished studio and it will be the most magical thing ever. Here's a, here's a fun tidbit. Since you are so good at writing songs and, and it, it doesn't seem like a, a horribly hard thing for you to do. Here's a, here's a money-making opportunity. There are only, I think only two songs in the world that are Kansas city, like based songs, but we have two professional, like big professional teams. And so anytime like the chiefs go to the playoffs or like the, the Royals go to the world series or anytime there's these big games on, on TV, they play the same like Mumford song and, and another Kansas city song, like religiously. So if you want to just make bank, if you wrote just a really killer Kansas city song, I, I guarantee you that like ABC and CBS would play the heck out of it. But what you need to do is slip in a little something about Shadowscape Records in the song <laughs> so we get like a junk ton of free promotion. Yeah. Yeah, that, that's probably Like not. a secret track on there maybe? Yeah, there you go. At the end of your Kansas City album, you can just, an ode to Sean and Corey. <laughs> Subscribe. <laughs> <laughs> Patreon whistle. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I think I'll this, do it. This is All a right, great challenge idea. accepted. Yeah. See, the thing is, is I, saying this to anyone else, I and you saying challenge accepted, I I would say, oh, that's funny. This will never happen. But, but now, six months later, <laughs> something's gonna show up in our inbox, and it's gonna be a track from you. Yeah, I just have a feeling, and and it's gonna be just you wait. Yeah, it'll probably be the best song ever, and then I'll have to be jealous again. But that's okay. That's okay. I'm okay with being <laughs> jealous of people who are talented. Yeah. We <laughs> support you it's a supportive jealousy <laughs> well anyway Gil, you are so awesome and we've had a super blast doing this and we hope that sometime when we're on like episode 145 you'll come hang out with us again and, and share with us all the new things that you're doing sounds awesome thank you guys thank you for having me